Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. Still in Luke 1. And uh, Luke 1 will be in verses 57 through 80. When Neil, Neil Armstrong took the first step on the moon, he was wearing a microphone. And because of that, he needed to have something pretty good to say when he first took his first steps. You wouldn't want the first words of the first man on the moon to be something like, hi, mom, or whoops, you know, that that probably wouldn't get written down in the history books, but because he had time to think about it, he knew that he was going to have this opportunity, he had something uh, profound to say. He said the words that most of us know, I think. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. There's actually a dispute about what the, the quote was. The quote was supposed to be, that's one small step for Amen. Amen. You got it. But one giant leap for mankind. The point being, one st- small step for man, referring to man in general, one giant leap for mankind. Mankind in general doesn't really make sense. Neil Armstrong says he said A, it just didn't pick it up because, you know, it was being sent from the moon. Um, So I guess that's a good excuse. Other people say, no, you didn't say it, but I guess we'll never know. But just as Neil Armstrong had a lot of time to think about what his first words on the surface of the moon would be, uh, in our passage here, Zechariah had some time to think about what his first words would be after his mouth was reopened nine months after God had shut it. Um, And just as Neil Armstrong's words were worth recording, so too were Zechariah's words. They're worth us taking some time to think about. You'll remember that story, Um, even maybe if you weren't with us. Back at the beginning of of chapter 1, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah there in the holy place. The angel appears to him and says, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son. And Zechariah says, how? I'm old. And God says, he says, "I I want to see a sign. And the angel says, I'll give you a sign. You won't be able to speak until the baby's born. And so for nine months now, Zechariah has been unable to speak, and this child has been growing in the womb of Elizabeth. And here in the passage, we get to read about what happened nine months later. So before we get to look at the words of um, Zechariah that he spoke right away, we get to, to look at this wonderful story from the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the theme of this story, the theme that we're going to talk about this morning, is the greatness of God's mercy. I think that's just the simple thing that I want us to think about, the greatness of God's mercy. And my hope is that we'll take time to consider that in the life of Elizabeth, in the life of Zechariah, and then to see God's mercy even in our own life. So let's read together from Luke chapter 1. I will read verses 57 through 80 through the end of the chapter. It says here, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. 
and fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now the last time that we were in the book of Luke, we ended with verse 56 of chapter 1. It says, And Mary remained with her, namely Elizabeth, about three months, and returned to her home. So we remember that Mary, after having the visitation from the angel, immediately went to see Elizabeth. Mary's, Mary had the visit from the angel in the sixth month, and then she went immediately to visit Elizabeth, was there for about three months, and then left. So she left about nine months later. So Mary leaves right before the baby is born. I'm not really sure why. If I had to speculate, I would say that it could be that, that young, unmarried Mary is now beginning to show possibly her pregnancy and probably thought it would be a good idea not to be around when all the relatives showed up just before and then after um, Elizabeth's pregnancy and then her, her birth. I, I don't know for sure, but that's my assumption. Otherwise, I think she would stick around for the birth. But verses 57 through 58 give us this brief account of the birth of Zechariah and Elizabeth's child. It says simply, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Now, anyone who's had a child knows that it's just not that simple. There was a lot more that happened in there, but that's the account that we have. Uh, she gave birth. She bore a son. She had a son just as the angel had said they would. And then the neighbors and the relatives come out of the woodwork there in verse 58. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. They, they came to see this. They said, Elizabeth? You mean Elizabeth really had a baby? Are you sure? i got to see this for myself. And so they all show up. Just as the ladies of our church gathered to celebrate with Ruth yesterday, had a shower, um, and as it, it will be with uh, when the little girl is born, everyone's going to show up. Uh, and so too here, they probably arrived with, with presents, with clothes for the baby, and toys for the baby, and diapers. Well, maybe not diapers, but they, they all rejoiced together, they cried together, they, they laughed together, and they told Elizabeth how beautiful the baby was, and they all said one thing, though, that seemed to stick out. You see it in verse 58, and her relatives, and her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. I just imagine many people showing up and looking Elizabeth in the eyes and just saying, Elizabeth, God has shown you such mercy. He's shown you such compassion and, and kindness 
great kindness, great compassion, great mercy. Recognizing the blessing of God. Mercy. It's this, this theme that's actually kind of run throughout these, this early chapter here and it's going to continue into Zechariah's song. It occurs twice there. Not only is it a theme of this chapter, but it's, isn't it the theme of our lives as the mercy of God? Couldn't we always look at ourselves in the mirror and say, wow, God has shown you great mercy. How kind God is to us, how compassionate he is. Here Elizabeth is blessed with this miraculous child in her old age. And, and we might not experience something like that, but as we walk through each day, we, we are blessed. We are blessed with God's mercy beyond measure. I kept going back and forth about what song about mercy to sing. I probably should have picked both of them. We sang, Thy Mercy, My God. But the other one is... Um, uh, Thank you. Mercies anew. Every morning that breaks, there are mercies anew. Every day, God's faithfulness is is proved. Maybe we'll sing that this evening just to remember that every day there are mercies anew for us. Every morning that we wake up and we're tired and we feel like we maybe don't want to be awake to the point that we lay down in bed, exhausted, there have been mercies all day long. We should be reminding ourselves. We should be looking at ourselves, telling ourselves, God has shown you great mercy. Not only that, but I think as they show up, what a, what a great thing that they say to Elizabeth. God has shown you mercy, Elizabeth. This is God's hand in your life. I think this is something, this should be a phrase that we say often. Oh, God has shown great mercy to you. Whether in the good or the bad, when people are complaining that we know, or when people are rejoicing, we should remind one another, we should say, wow, God is showing you great mercy. Do you recognize the mercy of God in your life. Well, unlike how he lingers over Jesus' birth, um, Luke kind of moves pretty quickly past the birth of John. He gets on to the story that he really wants to tell, namely the um, the naming of John. I just want to pause here and say, as you read through Scripture, I know a lot of us are on this Scripture reading plan that we're going through together. Uh, if you were, you read this this past week. This was in our, our Scripture reading plan. Um, if uh, if you're not, there's still some bookmarks available. You can catch up pretty quick. Um, but as you read through, I just want to give you the the okay that it, it's okay to find humor in the Bible. I think that there are some funny things in Scripture, and I find a lot of humor uh, in this story. I think as we read through Scripture, we need to recognize these are stories of real people. These are people like us. They, they laughed. Uh, they weren't stoic all the time. I believe Jesus laughed even though he was also a man of sorrows. But we need to put ourselves in these situations, think, well, what would I do? What would I say? How would I react if this happened to me? And I think it, it enlivens the story, helps us to see uh, what's going on here. Um, we got to be careful not to go beyond what the text says. Sometimes I like my get my imagination going. That's okay to a certain extent, but I'm going to stay within the passage. But still, it's okay to laugh, and I think there's some funny things in here. So here it says that it's eight days later. Verse 59, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. This would have been in accordance um, with the law, what was stipulated. It also seems that this is the day that the, of officially naming the child. Um, that wouldn't necessarily, uh, that's not necessarily in the law, but it seems to be custom, it's practice, that they, um, when they circumcise the child, they name the child. Now, when it comes to naming babies, everyone has an opinion. Um, Andrew and I have learned that when we are getting ready to have a child, we don't tell anyone what we're thinking about naming the child. Because if you say, I'm going to name, we're thinking about naming the child this, they'll say, really? 
Are, are you really going to name the child that? Or they'll say something like, is that a boy name or a girl name? And then you, well, I don't Or they'll say, you know, you don't want to name him that. I knew this guy in high school, and he had that name. Everyone has an opinion about names. So we just wait, and when the baby's born, we say, this is her name, this is his name, and then everyone has to accept the name because they're not going to tell you that they don't like the name when it's already on the birth certificate. They say, oh, it's a nice name, <laughs> even if they don't think it is. Well, normally that's the case, but in Elizabeth and Zechariah's case, they seem to have some pretty opinionated relatives here, and these friends and family have decided long ago that the name of this child is going to be Zechariah. just makes sense. That's going to be the child's name. Now, naming a child after the father, it doesn't seem as common in Scripture as it does in our day, but I just wonder maybe the uniqueness of this birth or the age of Zechariah. They thought, let's let's preserve Zechariah's name. We should call this child Zechariah. So everyone thinks that this is the perfect name, and maybe for the past eight days they've been referring to him as that. They've been calling him Zechariah or Zach Jr. or whatever you want to call him. And so they've been talking about Zechariah, but in the midst of all this Certainty, his mother, as if she has some sort of right to choose the name of her own child, comes in and says, no, he's going to be called John. We see it there in the text. She says his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Everyone kind of looks at her and says, someone chimes in and says, well, there's no one in your family that's named John. Why are you going to call him John? So uh, it's, it's interesting to see here that Elizabeth seems to think that she has the right to name her own child, you know. But isn't it interesting, it's kind of ironic, we talked about irony in Sunday school, isn't it interesting that Elizabeth actually is not naming her own child? This child's name has been chosen for her, and even if Elizabeth wanted to go along with everyone and name the child Zechariah, she can't. Why? Because Gabriel has already told them what the name of this child will be. In fact, Gabriel is communicating from God that the name of this child is John. God named Zechariah and Elizabeth's baby, and in so doing, he claims that baby as his own. Nothing shows the authority of a parent much like giving the child the name that they are going to have for the rest of their life. And in this circumstance, God removes that right, and he says, no, that's not your authority. I'm going to do it, because this child will be mine. He's going to serve me in a unique and special way. And so he claims John for himself by naming him. So Elizabeth says he shall be called John, and you think that would be enough to settle the matter. Um, it's not like she was trying to give him a crazy name. She didn't go Hollywood on them here. This is a very sensible name, John, but they really were stuck on Zechariah. And so like my kids, if they don't get the answer they want from one parent, they go to the other one until they get the right answer. They say, well, Elizabeth's not going on to us. Let's go over here to deaf and dumb John or Zechariah and see if we can convince him. And so they, they come and they communicate through some sort of hand signals because, remember, we said he not only can he not speak, but he probably can't hear as well. They're communicating with hand signals, and they get the question across to Zechariah, what do you want to call the baby, and he discerns that this is what the question is, so he asks for a writing tablet, which I'm sure he had made much use of in the past nine months, and everyone kind of sighs in relief. They think, good, Zechariah is going to set this matter straight, name this child properly. And so all the people have asked Zechariah this question. And, and there's actually this moment here that we don't really, I just kind of think we should pause here and recognize there's something unique going on here. As they ask Zechariah this question, this is the moment of truth for Zechariah. 
This is the moment where he has the opportunity to say, I believe. You, you remember way back, he, he failed. When, when the angel Gabriel came and said, you're going to have a baby, he, he expresses doubt. He says, no, I need to see a sign. And now here we, we get to see what's been going on in Zechariah's head. What's he going to do here? We've literally not heard from him for nine months. Has anything changed in his heart and in his mind? Has he come to accept what Gabriel said? Is he willing to give up this child as a prophet? Will he listen to the crowd? Will he say, yeah, let's name him Zechariah after me? Or is he going to name him what Gabriel said to name him? Is he going to follow what, what God says? And he's come to this point of faith and, and surrender. And the question is, is he going to relinquish all rights to this son as God is asking him to do? So we kind of have this moment of tension. He picks up the stylus to write on this tablet. It's probably a piece of wood, maybe with some wax on it, if you want to envision it, where you would kind of etch the, the letters in. And his response is even more firm than Elizabeth's. Elizabeth says, no, he shall be called John. Zechariah doesn't write, how about John? He says his name is John. Very clearly, his name is John. And Zechariah's faith speaks forth from that tablet. He says, since his conception, his name has been John. And though I've been unable to speak since that moment, I've been calling him John for his entire life. That's what his name is, because that's the name that God gave him. And it says that the response of the people says, and they all wondered. It's the same word that's used back when Zechariah took forever coming out from the holy place. Everyone was wondering what's going on. And here, again, everyone is filled with wonder. And then before they can even catch their breath about what has just happened, Zechariah speaks. They haven't heard him speak for nine months, and all of a sudden he starts talking. The text makes it clear that it happens immediately after this. It says in verse 64, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed. And so it happens immediately. So we know that, that the opening of his mouth is because of his obedience. His faithful obedience is the key that unlocks his speech. I was wondering how he knew that he could talk. What, what, what was it that that was the trigger, and, and I thought, well, if, if he couldn't hear as well, just imagine this moment where he writes, his name is John, and all of a sudden, not only is his mouth opened up, but his ears are too, and he can hear everyone kind of gasping in astonishment. He says, oh, it's back. God has given me my, my words back. And so he, he begins to talk again. What would you say if you were unable to talk for nine months? What would be the first things that come out of your mouth? I don't know, but I think that we would probably talk about what we've been thinking about most during that period of time. And the first words out of his mouth, it says, are blessing of God, praise to God, thanks to God. I think the words that he spoke are what's recorded in verses 68 through 79. And so if that's the case, then the first thing that Zechariah said after nine months of silence is, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. His silence hadn't caused him to, to reject God or to be upset with God, but rather he says, no, blessed be God, praised be God. I, I've learned that I should trust him always and do what he says. So the words there are recorded, this song of Zechariah, but before Luke delves into those words, he kind of close out, closes, out, closes out this story. He tells us the reaction of the people. 
Remember verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke. Blessing God probably said verses 68 through 79 and then 65 says, and fear came on all their neighbors. They were, they were in awe. They were astonished at what had happened. It says the next thing, fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. I mean, news spread like wildfire. This whole circumstance was just amazing. Elizabeth is pregnant. She has a baby. The naming of the child is, is so unique. And then Zechariah starts starts speaking. He he praises God. He prophesies in the power of the Holy Spirit after this. And everyone just starts telling everyone, did you guys hear about what happened with Elizabeth and Zechariah? And everyone hears this story. It just spreads all over the place. And as they're speaking it out loud, not only are they speaking it out loud, but they're thinking in their heads. And it says here, all who heard them, laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. It's similar to what's going to happen with Mary. You remember Mary, when the, when the shepherds come, what, is, what happens? She, she ponders all these things in her heart. And everyone comes, everyone sees all this amazing stuff, and they say, What is this? What's going on? They're, they're musing on this. They're meditating. What? Something unique is happening here. What will this child be because they recognized the hand of the Lord was with him. God's power was on him. This was a unique child. He wasn't like any other child. Some, God was God was doing something amazing. I think what's amazing here is that God is doing something amazing with just this, this elderly couple in the middle of nowhere. Just because they believe. Just because they had faith. God started doing amazing, miraculous things that filled people with awe that caused them to spread the news all around and to ponder things deep in their hearts. I think there's an application there, isn't there? I mean, I don't know that any of us, our families are going to experience some sort of miraculous pregnancy. I don't know that any of us are going to go deaf and dumb for nine months and then be able to speak again, though that could very well could happen. But I think that, that if we live a life of faith, if we walk faithfully with God, then God will do things in our lives, big, small, medium, that make people react in this way. They react with awe. They react by, by telling everyone, did you hear about this family? Did you hear about this guy, what he did, what he said, how he lives, the way that he acts, his faith? They'll ponder them in their hearts. They'll say, what's different about them? Why, why is God doing something unique with them? Their faith is is unique. Their God is unique. God continues to provide for all their needs. They start to see these things and they wonder. God's, they, they, they think, you know, God's hand is on them. There's unique power of some kind in their lives. Again, I don't know that it's necessarily miraculous. It could be simple self-sacrificing love shown to someone. People, people don't know what to do with that. When we were out handing out gifts in the neighborhood, uh, Rebecca and Andrea and I, we were with the kids, and there was one guy we went, and we wanted to give him, we said, we've got some candles and some, some plants we're just giving as a gift. And he goes, I don't have any money. <laughs> we said, no, it's free. And he was astonished. I mean, that's just a simple thing that makes someone say, wow, what's going on? There's something unique going on here. Simple things like that make people step back in awe and wonder and contemplate, what, what's different? What's going on here? I think that should be the flavor of our lives, that that they should people should see something about us. There should be something uncommon 
something you might say otherworldly about who we are, something salty that makes people thirsty, something bright that shines a light into people's lives and they just don't know what to do with it. And I think those things happen not through miracles always, though God sometimes does it, but usually just through simple faith. What did it happen? How did it happen with John? It's just the naming of this child. Just him writing his name as John. Simple act of faith, and everyone was wondering at what happened. Maybe like John, or like Zechariah, I think I'm mixing some names up here. Um, Like Zechariah, maybe through simply opening our mouths in praise to God, like he does in 67 through 79. So here is the song in verses 67. 67 is the introduction, 68 through 79, and then the close out in, in verse 80. Zechariah's song is sometimes called the, the Benedictus. Uh, it's from the Latin for the first word here. And it's usually can be broken up just real simply if you wanted to break it up into two separate parts. Verses 68 through 75 speak of the coming Messiah. And verses 76 through 79 speak of John and his uh, particular role. As I was going through this, I, I, I just feel compelled actually to, to take 68 through 75 and we're going to save it for next week. I think there's something deep in here about this, this last part where the, the, the flow is that we would serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I want to meditate on that next week. I think we could take a quick shower in it this morning if we wanted to, or we can soak in it next week, and I feel like that would be best. So I just want to consider verses 76 through 80 um, and and look at these and think about them a little bit. Because here, Zechariah is going to answer this question that the people that's on people's hearts. What's the question they ask? It says, what then will this child be? But what's going to be unique about this child? What's going to happen with with John? And so Zechariah says these words. Let's read them again. I imagine, if you want to picture it in your mind, I imagine Zechariah holding John, this little eight-day-old baby in his arms, and looking at him in the eyes, and he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now certainly John didn't know what he was saying. He was only eight days old. But Zechariah spoke it to his own heart, and he spoke it for those that were around him to hear and and to, to see what was going on. And he says to him, Son, you are going to be a prophet of the Most High, the, the most exalted, the, the one true living God. And, and you will go before him. You're going to prepare his way you're going to get ready for the coming of the the messiah that we've been we've been waiting for john you are you're you're going through and you are paving the way for the most high to show up as a baby and then as a human being to take away the sins of the world his message is to get people ready and what's coming how is he going to to get people ready what's the message uh, the message is not some sort of political one it's not a revolutionary call to take up arms and and to to storm rome and take back the kingdom and and be this great and mighty nation rather it's the message that says the lord the messiah is coming to save you 
says, this is what you're to tell. This is what John's going to say, verse 77. You're going to give knowledge of salvation to his people. John's not going to be the one that saves. He will give the knowledge of salvation. He will reveal that that salvation is coming to his people. And it's not political salvation. It's not economic salvation. What is it? To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. How is the Messiah going to save us? How is the Messiah going to save his people? By forgiving their sins. By forgiving their sins. And what's that flow out of? Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of our sins, of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God. It could be said because of the, the merciful heart of our God. That God has a heart of mercy towards his people. And it's a heart of mercy that comes to bring salvation. And the salvation is in the form of forgiveness of sins. I think this was a message that Zechariah knew and understand was understood was, was necessary. Think about Zechariah for nine months underneath this judgment of God, unable to speak. He knew that he had failed. He knew that he had messed up, that he had not believed in the moment when he should have. His lack of faith had caused judgment to come on him. Zechariah understood his sin. He understood his need for a Savior. And so he rejoices that when the Son comes, what's he bringing? He's bringing forgiveness of sins. That forgiveness flows from this tender mercy of God, from the merciful heart of God. God is quick to forgive too, isn't he? We see this with Zechariah. What happens right immediately when he shows forth his faith, when he has the opportunity to say, this, the child's name is John. He does it, and what happens? God immediately forgives. It's not that God makes him wait a little while longer. We're going to let him sit in this for a while, and we'll just really see if he believes. No, forgiveness comes immediately, right when he expresses that faith. This is the salvation that we need. This is this. We don't need someone to come and 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 save us and and to um, save us politically or or economically or socially or any other way. We need someone to forgive us of our sins. We need a God that has a tender heart towards us that sees how frail we are and says, "I will show great mercy." We need a God that is ready and willing to forgive immediately. A God who is just but who sees faith and forgives. Because if God will not forgive us, then then we are silent before Him. Even as Zechariah was, we have nothing, nothing to, to we have nothing to come before Him with. We are still under His His judgment. But if He forgives us, then our mouths will be opened in praise to say, "Blessed be the Lord God." He goes on, and there's this beautiful message. The message is not of a king on a war horse, but it's of a rising sun. <laughs> the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of of peace. Picture yourself if you think of a, a sunrise and how it slowly fills all the cracks and the crevices of darkness, fills them with this warm light. You can picture yourself maybe in a in a dark valley where you can't see anything, there are there are shadows everywhere, and you're trying to find a way out, but there you can't see a path anywhere, and then all of a sudden you see the sun sort of peek up 
over the hills and the valley is, is filled with light and, and all the, the shadows sort of disappear, these things that you didn't know what they were. There was darkness. It was scary. All of a sudden, light floods into those. And as the light floods in, you see the path out. You, you see the way to get out of this dark valley. That's what Christ has come as. He's come as a sun rising. And so the, all this darkness surrounds us. There's these uncertainty and, and judgment and, and death surrounds us. And the sun comes and sheds light. Sheds light in our hearts, reveals our sin, but then also sheds light and says, here's the path. Here's the path to peace, is what the text says. And so John's message was to come and to, you remember, he's to bring down all the mountains. And he's to raise up all the valleys. He's to make a, a level plain so that when the sun rises, everyone sees it. And everyone sees the path, and the path leads straight to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So look at God's mercy here. God has a merciful heart. He is great in mercy towards us. Think about the mercy, the kindness that he showed to Elizabeth in granting her this child. But then think about all the mercy and the kindness he gives us every day. The breath that we have, the food that we have, the families that we have, this church family. And even beyond all that, just the, the salvation that he has granted us. With We can think about how many mercies we receive every day. And then the mercy of the fact that he is a God who is ready and willing and waiting to forgive us, to open our mouths in praise to him. He's a God who has sent his son to shine the light of truth into our lives, to expose sin, but then also to expose the path to peace. Zechariah's prophecy makes John's role very clear. It makes... Um, makes this this message that Jesus is coming to bring forgiveness very clear. But Zechariah doesn't necessarily know how that's going to happen. He knows that salvation is coming. He knows that the message is for forgiveness of sins. He knows that the path will be towards peace. But Zechariah doesn't really know what that's going to look like. He didn't know that the coming Messiah would bring about all of this through suffering, through dying on the cross. There's a sense in which we could say that the way he is going to bring light to the valley of death, to this dark valley, is actually to walk through it and to experience the death for us so that the light can come in. The way that he saves us from death is to taste death himself. How are we forgiven? How do we receive salvation? How do we receive forgiveness of sin? How does God express his tender heart of mercy towards us by laying down his life, by not coming to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to buy us back to himself. So this morning we gather around the Lord's table, and as we do it, we remember that, that this is mercy, that God has shown us great mercy in his death, and in his resurrection, and he's done it so that we might know the forgiveness of sins. So we come, we come to the table like Zechariah came to God, understanding his sin, having repented of his sin. We come as those who are trusting in the merciful heart of God, seeing in him giving up his one and only son, so that we might know forgiveness.